0: I'm Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for know Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. To learn more about know Before, visit KnowBefore.com. Roger, welcome. Always a pleasure.
1: Always a pleasure to be back with you and all the listeners who listen in each week.
0: Well, Roger, an article from Bleeping Computer last week reported on how cybercrime groups are posting job ads on the dark web, offering developers and hackers up to $20,000 a month. Now, again, that's that's the top, but still, that's a lot of money, as well as competitive benefits packages. So can you tell us more about cybercrime adopting these traditional business operations, their hiring processes, and aside from, you know, of course, committing crime, what else is at risk when becoming one of their employees?
1: I think in a larger context, I think a lot of people that don't do malware and research hacking for a living would be surprised about how professional it is. There are literally thousands of organizations around the world that do cybercrime every day and all the employees that work on it, that's their full-time job. And cybercrime ranges from an individual sitting, you know, in his parents' basement drinking jolt cola, but all the way up to these kind of pseudo-professional organizations. Sometimes they are professional organizations that profess to be a call center or a marketing center, like, oh, we're marketing, we do internet marketing, but what they really are is social engineering phishing attackers. You know, they claim to be a call center. Well, they're a call center, all right, but they're doing, you know, those scams where they call and tell you, we're from Microsoft and we found a virus on your computer. So I think certainly when I talk to general audiences, they are surprised to hear that there's thousands of organizations around the world that are dedicated as their full-time job to trying to hurt you and do other types of cybercrime. But there are. They're in cities. They're well-known in their cities. They're sometimes the biggest employer in their city. Some of them are on their country stock exchange. But knowing that, it shouldn't be surprising that they have to compete for workers and resources the same way every company does. So they post, you know, employment ads. The particular article you referenced talked about Articles and things that were referenced on the dark web. So everybody in there would know that, Hey, this is very likely a very malicious thing. So it means all these people have made the mind switch that, Hey, I don't mind going to do something unethical and illegal and go to work for this malware or social engineering company or whatever. Most of them do. Most of the employees know that a lot of them don't know that what they're applying for is malicious, especially when the ads are out there on like indeed.com or something like that they don't know that they're responding to some malware organization any more than you know some women when they respond to hey would you like the model don't realize that it's for pornography <laughs> you know like like there's just naive people out there that haven't heard about the bait and switch routine but you know that's what goes on in the real world they are looking for lots of resources sometimes thousands of resources I would say you know thousands is probably in the larger side of organizations but there are many 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 you know again many many thousands that have hundreds of employees and you know they have to recruit people and to do that they you know have to be competitive because it isn't like all of them are some you know malware crime creator or writer like a malware writer might know that hey he wants to be anonymous and get paid a large amount for making malware, being a malware developer. But a lot of them are like software development team managers and, you know, network developers and things like that. And in order to attract these people, they're like, Hey, instead of this spotty work that you do, where you get a big payoff every now and then come to work for us and we'll give you a salary and or a bonus. And, you know, we can give you full-time employment, part-time employment, flexible scheduling. You'll get raises. You know, those workers actually have to apply for time off and vacations, but they get paid vacations. How nice if you're a malware writer and you take off a couple of weeks that you still continue to get your regular salary. So, you know, I think, again, all of that is kind of probably surprising to a lot of people, but they have to be competitive. And and let me, again, say that not all malware companies are offering these, you know, flexible benefits, but a lot of them are. I assume they're hiring more than ever because you know malware is worse than ever, phishing worse than ever. Almost every single thing you can think of is getting worse and growing in attacks, with the exception of maybe ransomware. That's kind of a topic for another day, maybe next time, where we'll talk about how ransomware is actually seen some setbacks for the first time in a lot of years. But, you know, I think it is, you know, kind of interesting, In that particular article, what I really liked is they talked about salary levels as well. And you talked about $20,000 being kind of the max, $20,000 a month being kind of like the maximum that they saw out there. Most of the jobs were a lot smaller, you know, so developers made the most about $20,000 a month. This so is the median range for these IT professionals were... Between thirteen and four thousand dollars a month, which you know is still pretty high, especially if you're in a developing country, you know, where a couple thousand bucks is a big, big deal. And they're gonna be making that in a month. It has to make it very, very attractive. But you know, that's something again people need to understand is that these attackers are very professional in nature. Oftentimes, again, the counties and the villages and the countries are aware that the companies that are doing all of this are malicious. You know, like when you have these thousand or a couple hundred to a thousand person call centers in India and Sri Lanka and stuff, and they're doing these attacks, these countries get enough complaints that they realize that, you know, this person's doing something bad or a ransomware group in Russia. You know, Russia knows who the ransomware groups are and who they are and where they live. They could do something, but they're either just enjoying the side benefit of their adversaries having to deal with the issue, or many times they're actually being paid. I'm sure there's somebody within the organization that takes care of the bribes, (laughs) you know, that there's a budget for it. Hey, we need to have, you know, $16,000 a month to pay the bribes to the local police and the regional police and then the government or whatever. You know, a lot goes into making a professional malicious organization. And I remember that again, being really hitting home to me when There was a bank stealing Trojan a couple of years ago, one of the most popular bank stealing Trojans ever. The developer, or the guy that created it, posted the source code to it. And he said, I'm retiring because I've made a half a billion dollars and I'm going to quit before I get caught, which I thought pretty smart guy, because a lot of people keep going until they get caught. We think it's a Russian. we even think we know who he is, but we're not sure. And he hasn't been caught. So the guy's pretty smart. He's sitting somewhere in an Island, you know, over in the Baltic sea or something sipping margaritas and martinis with a half a billion dollars. So pretty smart guy. But he posted that malware. And when other malware analysis companies looked at it, they could tell like how it was set up. And more importantly, what the infrastructure was behind it. And the networking infrastructure was as sophisticated as you'd ever see. There was multiple redundant pathways, multiple types of, you know, the way the malware could connect to you was written differently for mobile devices and different for Android versus, you know, Mac mobile phones. There were multiple redundancies and pathways that went into different databases that eventually went up into this fully resourced data warehouse. There were multiple redundant licensing servers. And when you looked at it, you went, oh my goodness, the person that designed this could easily make a six-figure, multi-six-figure salary working for any company that would go, hey, we need you to design the back-end infrastructure to handle this new email client or whatever new feature you're rolling out. This person had that experience and that capability to design the back-end. And I was like, oh, of course. The creator of this banking-stealing Trojan is acting as a CEO because he's making a half billion dollars at least. That's what he walked with, you know, after expenses. <laughs> and he hired somebody that understood how to make a fully redundant back end that would handle this widespread malware distribution network. And that person that designed that probably did work for some large Fortune 500 type company that did this for a living, but in the legitimate end. And that person came across the job ad and you know got enticed with the high salary and then designed it for this malware guy and was able to have you know quite successful i mean i'd say that you know the more successful that the malware company takes their job ignoring that they're illegal and unethical the better they're going to be doing you know they need to have budgets whether you have malicious employees or not you need to budget their time. You need to somehow track and get rid of people that aren't doing their job. You want to promote and enrich people that are doing a good job. You have a development life cycle. You have feature releases. I remember just a couple of months ago, I even learned this one ransomware group was closing down for a week or two to revamp their website. And they even offered a bug bounty program, you know, bug bounty where, you know, hackers can find bugs and you will get rewarded for finding the bugs. Every company that develops software and services and on the internet should have a bug bounty program, but I was just shocked that the malware guy was doing it. And no doubt there's legitimate bug finders that, you know, people that aren't malicious that are, you know, hey, I can make 7,000 bucks or 10,000 bucks finding a bug in this guy's website. Let me go see what I can find. And that's the thing to keep in mind is that, again, not all of these organizations, but a lot of them. I mean, again, it can be these solitary people that are making something. Like I remember we talked about, you know, six months ago or so, there was this cardiologist. This guy was a cardiologist, but he was also making a ransomware toolkit. You know, you're like, what? But he got arrested. Now, I guess he's, you know, practicing his cardiology inside of a prison, you know, and who knows what will become of that guy when he gets out of prison. So it's anywhere from single individuals to probably very commonly, it's really more smaller groups of people kind of having this pseudo- organization or gang, you know, where maybe you have three or five core people, but really in order to be in one of the top hundred malware providers, ransomware providers, you really have to have dozens and dozens, if not a hundred people working for you. You have to have developers and development team and a developer manager. You know, the CEO of that malicious organization is likely not also a software developer manager, or maybe he was, and he doesn't have the time. It's funny they will even advertise. Oh, we're coming out with a new feature set in two weeks, and it's going to have this feature and that feature and this feature. You know, I've heard them talk before in interviews. You know, it was like you were listening to somebody from Microsoft yeah. talk about the new features coming out in Windows 12 or something. You know, like big keynote. Yeah, exactly a keynote. They even have like PR type statements. You know, like when this one ransomware thing. I think it was Conti, but it could have been R-Evil or something. But I remember when they kind of successfully attacked the United States gas system on the East Coast by Florida, and it was considered an overreach by Russian ransomware. They'd done too much. They'd gone too far. Well, the spokesperson, CEO, was being interviewed on the radio and he was going, Hey, it was one of our subsidiaries. You know, it was one of our people that licensed it from us and it's against our licensing agreement. And we've punished that guy (laughs) and we've updated our terms of service. So it will no longer be unclear. You know, we apologize. I'm like, Who am I listening to? Yeah. You know, like it's even more sophisticated than the mob. Totally. (laughs) You know? And then that's again where it hit me. These are professional people. In professional organizations doing the same types of product delivery, you know, ransomware delivery, call centers, they're all the same, except for you're just delivering an illegal and unethical product. And I guess it also is sad to me how many people will work to hurt other people. You know, I I assume greed's the number one thing. You know, if you live in an Indian village where you're lucky to make two or $3,000 a year and all of a sudden you get a job that will pay that in a month, you know. If someone offered me 12 times my current salary, would I not possibly consider? <laughs> you know, hey, can I just claim to be dumb?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: and, you know, can I really think that we really are a subcontractor for Microsoft? I don't know where it takes. I'd like to think that I have ethics that, you know, I wouldn't do those things. But I've also not walked in their shoes and, and actually been starving <laughs> in a muddy field, you know, wondering where the next meal coming from my family. So I don't want to be too judgmental. Not completely, but what a fantastic thing. Again, that article showed that, you know, came from that anti-malware company because, you know, it, it said that, the, you know, had 200,000 job ads. And I think they watched it for like two years or something like that. 200,000 job ads, 61% of which were software developers. I mean, that's amazing. I think if you tell the average person that the bad guys have two hundred thousand job ads looking for positions it would blow people's brains away right they're like what I
0: think they'd be like you're lying
1: yeah so i guess that's the takeaway from this is it's all very professional or not all of it i want to say some portion of it's very professional and they're run like professional organizations and they have ceos and hr departments i remember once reading a text of one of the developers that was mad because he wasn't delivering on time and you could see that his boss The software development manager was just tired of this guy not delivering. And they had HR come on. They're like, do you mind if HR comes in on this thread? You know, because they're going to let him go. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like that malware guy can't just fire that guy? No, of course. They've got to come up with controls just like the rest of us. The whole reason we have HR on the calls when we're letting someone go is it tends to be the right thing to do. And that's all they're doing. They're just taking the tools and the controls that are in other, you know, legitimate companies and applying them to their malware company, uh, you know, and when they don't apply controls, like a lot of these malware developers won't like, they don't have their own computer security people and their own network penetration testing teams and stuff. They end up getting bit, you know, in the end and they are wishing they had all of that stuff. So anyways, I think that's a kind of a unique perspective on the whole malware thing and kind of depressing (laughs) that it is that way. And, you know, and how hard is it to get rid of, you know, it's really, really hard because in many of these countries, those malware companies are the largest employer in the regions where they are. They're bringing in substantial revenues that are oftentimes taxed. And even if they're not taxed, oftentimes that money's being spent within the country and funding the bars and the cars, you know, people selling cars and jewelry, you know, nearby, you know, like romance scams. The majority of romance scams come out of Nigeria and you'll often see these Nigerian youths, you know, teenagers and young adults showing their new cars and their jewelry and stuff like that. Well, you know, it's funding industry in their country and it probably, other than the ethical illegalness of it, is a great incentive for the local officials to look the other way. Not only are they being bribed, but it's enriching their entire community. There's all kinds of things that make it difficult to get rid of cybercrime and criminals. And this is just one of them. Is just how professional it is in there. So anyways, kudos for that report. Even I, know, I already know all of this stuff, but when you're reading the actual data where they're actually giving you what the average salary is per month for particular positions, I think that I knew about it, but it still kind of brings home the heaviness of the reality.
0: Yeah, definitely. And just to quickly add before our next story, this story made me think of another story I had read in Vice recently, which was just talking about the Russia dark net market wars because hydro was shut down last year, last spring, and so now you know, all the other players are trying to get that market share. There are pictures in this article that, you know, I talk about these things with people, but I guess perhaps seeing is believing, but seeing a bus wrapped with the branding of a dark net marketplace like Kraken and they have like scan our QR code and it's like, who's their experiential marketing team that's like putting this together? Then who's walking around on the street scanning the QR code, but it's totally run like a business. They have marketing, they have, you know, in Russia particularly, they have like billboards and projections, like trying to build brand awareness it's just bizarre it's wild and i think we just couldn't imagine walking down times square and you know seeing something like a bus drive by advertising the silk road like in 2013 or whatever that would have been bananas but that's just a normal occurrence in these nations where this is happening and it's such a large employer like you were saying
1: yeah yeah it's just all wild and continually shocking <laughs> yeah for sure
0: well, next story, I read this on the, the No Before Security Awareness training blog about how cybercriminals are exploiting the recent, as of Monday, of this week, 7.8 magnitude earthquake in Turkey and Syria, and they're posing as you know representatives from a Ukrainian charity foundation, and I'm sure more than that, and they're asking people for money to help those affected. So Roger, can you tell us more about how cybercriminals capitalize on these natural disasters and what Additional types of activity can we probably expect?
1: You know, hackers always go to whatever's popular, you know, email or chatting. I always say whatever software is the most popular service is going to be abused, right? And it may take a while, like LinkedIn. After LinkedIn came out, it took a while till all the scammers came out on there, but now it's just full of scammers. You know, it's almost like good luck getting a real job, you know, posting on there or request or something, but they always move to where you know, the the most popular software and services are And one of the things they've always done is try to capitalize on different events. Certainly, it seems every time that there's an earthquake or a hurricane or something like that, you know, they want to use topics that are likely to come into people's desktops. And again, it's not only environmental events, you know, like earthquakes and stuff, which are for some reason very, very popular. They mention that more than tornadoes or anything else, I guess because it's so broadly devastating across a particular region. Yeah, You know, when celebrities have a problem they die, or they have a scandal, politics, you know, their whole thing is I need this person to open it up. They're sending out, you know, the average scammer, malware, ransomware, fisher is sending out somewhere around 60 million emails a day. At least that was the activity I saw the last time that I saw that. And what I hear is that the payoff, it's only like one or 2% but one or 2% times 60 million emails, turns out means crime pays. So they want to be able to get people, they know, just like anybody, like when I'm trying to publish an article and get somebody to read it or listen to a podcast or something like that, I've got to do two things right away. Number one, I have to make a topic that makes the person open it, right? If I put a boring topic on one of our podcasts, it's less likely to be open and listened to than if we put, kind of a more exciting titillating topic yeah sure and then number two the first sentence has to grab the people because if you don't write a really good first opening sentence in an arc or whatever people are lost it really is difficult and then clicking anytime you ask someone to click on something it really you're losing a large portion of your audience so what they're trying to do again this is kind of related to your first topic which i assume is why you put them together because you're pretty smart story. <laughs> is that they're acting as professionals and they're like, okay, we're trying to do marketing, right? We're doing lead generation, <laughs> lead gen. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're trying to get people to click and to read and to do that, they have to make titillating topics, you know, so these earthquakes certainly are in there, you know, floods, celebrity stuff, political stuff, and it, it works, right? If telling people about an earthquake didn't make people click, they wouldn't do that anymore. I mean, literally the evidence that it does work is that they keep doing it because even a criminal is not going to do it if it doesn't work. It it gets really difficult because, you know, it, it gives them different topics. To use, it's harder for the anti-malware content filters to go, oh, this is an earthquake email. I need to filter it out because there oftentimes are legitimate requests and news on earthquakes to both give you the news and to ask for donations, right? It's not unusual that the Red Cross or somebody might not reach out and say, do you want to help this? So that's what it's kind of based upon, you know, and they're just looking to use whatever has the greatest Ability to make someone click, you know, like during COVID, anytime you see anything in the news, us in the social engineering world fighting social engineering, we just know it's going to become almost immediately know it's going to become a topic. And let me say there used to be a delay in that some big new news topic would come out. It would be days or weeks before the spamming emails came out. But now they're, you know, up within hours. You know, as soon as the the criminals are waking up going, how can I, you know, capitalize on this? And let me also say, and this is kind of an important maybe a good way to close this, is that anybody can be socially engineered. There is always some topic that will make you click. You know, like you always have people, there's no way you can scam me. Nope, nope, there is. Because I've had people test me and say, you can't socially engineer me. And I have in every case. And let me say, I have been you know socially engineered at least in simulated phishing attacks that my company sends to me uh, the my first time i fell for a fake social engineering attack that no sent me was day one or two <laughs> and it, it was based upon this they were claiming they had data that showed patching caused more compromises than social engineering which i knew not to be true so i clicked on the link they're like if you want to see the data behind this you can click here and i clicked on the link without hovering over it you know like aha we got you and i'm like okay and then I got tricked a couple of times during COVID. And the common thread was that they were saying that they had, oh, you can go get your COVID vaccination. And this is like a year before COVID vaccinations existed. I, I was indignant. What do you mean? There's no COVID boom clicked, you know, <laughs> uh, caught me again. And, just re- and, and let me say, I got caught two or three times during the COVID thing. And I even wrote about it saying I got fished. I recently, it'd been a long time, a year or two since I'd been fooled on a social engineering attack. But I recently got fooled by one of those, hey, your boss wants to talk to you about something. And I just talked to my boss about this issue. I forget whether it was pay or some project issue or something, but then the simulated phishing email. My boss didn't send it to me. It's actually created by AI, artificial intelligence within our company. So it was just this AI-generated phishing attack, and they... Sent, you know, it said, Oh, you're, you know, she wanted to talk to me about something. And I clicked without hovering because I thought it was in response to what we we're talking about. And it was yeah. pure coincidence. But what it means again is that, you know, depending on the time and how busy you are and the topic, we're all fishable. We can all be socially engineered just depending on the time, the day, and the topic. There's nobody that can't. You know, if you think you cannot be socially engineered, you are mistaken. And I have proven to everyone that has ever said they're not social engineerable that they are socially engineerable because we're humans and we're, you know, we deal with people and we have issues that come up. And, you know, I can make up some really good topics. But I also say one of the things I love about our AI in our platform, I think it's called ADA. And so I forget the ADA, ADA. I forget what it used to stand for. Probably is something different now, but you can actually automate phishing. And what happens? when I fell from my boss's social engineering attack, what wasn't my boss's, it was a simulated phishing attack claiming to be from my boss. I've now got like tested 10 times from different emails and topics claiming to be my boss since then. And so I am like really, really hard to socially engineer with a fake email from my boss. And that's exactly why you wanna do security awareness training with simulated phishing (laughs) is that I've proven that I am susceptible to the phishing attack. And now they're making sure that I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm not susceptible to a future boss phishing attack. But I would say at least for right now, I am aggressively not going to fall for that type of attack. And that's why you have to do education about the different types of attacks and topics and why you need to do simulated phishing attacks. And then even more importantly, in the third is use the data from what people fell for to educate them and others so that they're not susceptible to those types of attacks and any type of attack if you can.
0: Absolutely. And I think that is a great way to close our conversation this week. So Roger, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks so much for talking with me about these topics that I chose for us today. I'm glad you liked them.
1: Truly. Thanks, uh, Hillary. And again, thanks for everybody for listening in each week and uh, continue to fight the good fight.
0: Thanks, Roger. I'm Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today was Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem
1: of social engineering.